your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome to the Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. Standing across from me is Action Jackson. Jackson, tell me about yourself. Uh, not much to say today. You know. Oh wow! Well, there's so much. What's wrong? Is there something going on on the home front that you wanna that you wanna work out here? No, no, I'm all good. Chris uh, Kerber is gonna be with us on the show. Maybe he can help you through it. Yeah, Kerbs, I love having Kerbs on, and not uh, just so there's not a uh, kind of waiting for this uh, for this weekend, big weekend. So you're excited about the Blues preseason game on Saturday night. Well, you can ask Kerbs about that. Blues preseason. We got the wild card. Series, you got the Tigers in the swamp. Ten point underdogs. Yeah, I I just think there's a, there's a lot going on this weekend. Another good weather weekend. I'm looking forward to it. It's a little. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, it's a little weekend in the forecast. Yeah, but it's like the first like fall weekend, like where it's gonna be like you know, sixty degrees. You know, you wear long pants. Pant. Yeah, the the crisp air. But Looking I would to prefer it. it to be a little warmer for playoff baseball, if I you don't concur. mind. Yeah, no, I, I hear Especially you. for the first of four rounds. Right, yeah. <laughs> if it's this cold now, what's it going to be like when the Cardinals... Take on the Yankees. Yeah, and take the parade down market. Yeah. It's going to be cold. Bring uh, you can get involved on the show, 65780. You can help Jackson out as he's obviously dealing with some things today. And you can leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. Chris Kerber with us at 1015, is that correct? Yep. Uh, and here on the program, we welcome you to uh, get involved. Any questions you may have for Chris Kerber. Uh, Kerber was with us on the fast lane yesterday as news broke of the Blues announcing their new Hall of Fame, their own team Hall of Fame. So we'll talk that over with Kerbs here on Balloon Party, as well as uh, some news and notes regarding the Blues as they get ready to open up the season here. Oh, and what is my math? 10 days, 11 days, whatever it is. So uh, that's coming up at 10.15. Uh, and I have a little Piddles percentages to start the show, which makes me really happy. Yeah, absolutely. I love a little, a little Piddles percentages. The Cardinals start Jack Flaherty in the wild card round. So to me, that question kind of comes down to... If they're going to get to a game three, because one and two, it's probably Michaelis Quintana. I don't know. I agree on the Michaelis. I don't know if Quintana is much of a lock as the Michaelis one. Yeah. Michaelis might be the only lock, like the only for sure. Lock. I I don't. I still wouldn't put it as a lock, but I would operate at a ninety-five percent confidence level. Yeah, Quintana, I would operate at a sixty percent confidence level, and then game three, it's up for snatch grabs. Absolutely, and. I, like, I would. I came to this conclusion with Anthony Stalter yesterday afternoon. Montgomery with Flaherty as the floating net. Yeah, I was going to say it's like kind of like a piggyback. Either Montgomery or Flaherty start the game, and the other one comes in at the first sign of trouble. You know, 
But then something that Brad Thompson said yesterday that caught my attention, and then you just think about it and you go, okay, well, that's logical, that if Adam Wainwright isn't in the rotation, and I think most people at this point would say he won't be, as tough as that might be right. to say, right. uh, that he wouldn't be on the roster. If there is no spot in the rotation, then there is no role. Yeah. In my mind, I was thinking he would just be on the roster to come out of the bullpen, but there are other people better suited for it. The thing about this series is is that they are going if the first sign of, of trouble, you have somebody up in the bullpen. It is a totally different type of game than we're used to watching for 162 games. And I recognize that a best of seven series has that element, and a best of five series has that element. That is this, or this is that times twenty. I feel like, yeah. If Miles Michaelis is down three nothing in the second inning, I don't think the Cardinals let him try to figure it out. No, no, you you gotta switch. A two him game out. losing streak is the end of the season. Yep. Now with the Phillies winning last night, and Aaron Nola perfect through six and two thirds at Houston. The Phillies are in. The Brewers wound up coming back and winning an extra innings, but it doesn't matter. The magic number was one. The Phillies have clinched that spot. Uh, the Padres also won. They beat the Giants, and so it continues to look like it will be the Cardinals and Phillies on Friday. And I'd imagine Jackson, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola. Yeah. That boy. would be who would you see out of the gate? Yeah, Nola for probably Saturday based on what happened last night. But that's uh, that's not easy. That's not an easy task. But being at Bush with the fans there, big advantage. Uh, but that is those two are nothing to be messed with. You know? So uh, I was hoping Nola could throw the perfect game because then he would throw 120 pitches. Right. And I wonder, I really, I was watching that yep. game. I know you're going, yeah. If they would have pulled him, he was at a low pitch count when he gave up his first hit. I think he gave it up to your Dan Alvarez, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then he gave up another one, and then they just pulled him from the game. But I, I was wondering how they would handle that in that spot. Right. Because if he goes into a 120 pitch, but it's a perfect game. And a perfect game is in a much different category than a no-hitter. Right. I think if it was a no-hitter, you pull him out uh, once it gets to buck 10. But with a perfect game, they're so rare. You probably leave him in there and hope for the best come the playoffs. But Severino then, was pissed off at uh, Aaron Boone for yanking him in right. a no-no last night. Right, but then, you know, it cuts both ways. You'd have people in Philly, sports media in Philly, if they were to lose uh, this weekend against the Cardinals, saying, well, why did you pitch Nola 125 pitches? And, you know, if he didn't get the perfect game, even more so. So uh, the Cardinals do not know it's the Phillies. The Phillies have the tiebreaker on the Padres if they were to finish in a tie. Uh, and right now, the Phillies trail the Padres by one. The Padres can wrap it up tonight with a win and a uh, Phillies loss. Yeah, also I have to wonder, and this is something that was uh, discussed yesterday on the Fastlane as well, wouldn't you rather face the Cardinals than right. the Mets? 100%. But the Mets, the Mets are, are struggling. I know. It's just more about who they would throw at right. you. You just have to think oh, that man. that... Um, guys, uh, let's see what we got. Lars Newpar starting in the outfield on Friday. <sighs> tick tock, tick tock. Jackson, what percentage are you going with on that one? Oh, for the record, my Cardinal start Jack Flaherty in the wild card round. I would put that at 12%. 12% is my number. Where is your number? I was going to say 25% because okay. I think it probably will go three games and then I think you'd see him pitch at one point. Um, for Lars, I will say 60%. 
I was going to go 66%. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that he'll be the starting in the starting outfield. Paul DeYoung is the starting shortstop in any wild card round game. Oh, boy, my, my hope is a lot lower than my, my actual. You think it's going to happen? I think there could be a situation. I'll go 25% again. He's going 15% on yeah, that. I, I, I mean, I really hope. It's well, if they if they get knocked out and he's in there and he's doing the O for three three K thing, yeah. and they lose because of offense, Ali Marmol, who will go from a great deal of equity with the fans, will yeah that will cause some because no matter what, whenever the Cardinal season comes to an end, you are you are now staring into one of the most transformational off seasons in recent cardinal history because of certainly catcher needs to be tended to 100 Pujols has become a key part of the offense we're not wondering is it, you don't go to the ballpark anymore wonder if he's going to be in there he needs to be in there right. he needs to be in there right he isn't going to be around i think i think the adam wainwright thing is is more of a question than i think the average cardinal fan thinks Right. Yeah, especially the outfield is is a situation that may get under the microscope here within the next 72 hours uh, more than it is right now. Because, again, I think most people haven't been paying attention as much. Again, I want to emphasize, I'm sure plenty of you have, but most Cardinal fans in general have been paying attention to Albert Pools and the 700 home runs than the team because there hasn't been a pennant race, nor has there really been a, a race for anything other than the three seed. You know what you are and has been that way for a long time. Uh, so that, and then the shortstop situation. Right. I mean, you have a lot to tend to. And and how do you prioritize? I mean, obviously, catcher seems like the most glaring priority, but you, having a big hole and shortstop there is no good, and then having an outfield where you're getting very little offensive production is rare for a team with 90-plus wins. Um, and uh, that so whenever the season comes to an end, even if it ends with a world championship, it is going to be... Um, a major discussion with regards to the Cardinal offseason. Uh, and then finally, Missouri goes winless in the SEC. The final question from the Little Piddles percentages. So I think there are only winnable games left in the SEC, which is crazy to say when they took Georgia to the ropes. But Vanderbilt and Florida probably are the only uh, – South Carolina. Uh, so three of those games, I would say they go winless in the SEC. I'll put that at 35%. Wow. Wow! Wow! Yeah. I wow. think they, I think there's a chance they could win one of those. Have fun three on games. Tiger Board today. But it, I mean, it's based on it's been it's based on offense. To me, if Dominic Levick is healthy, I think they have a chance to win this weekend. Right, I agree. But I get the sense we'll know here in a couple of hours with an ankle and with not being able to go back in on Saturday. I know he wanted to, but the team didn't want to put him back in there. Um, they may rest him. And then have the bye week in Vanderbilt. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So uh, that's that's where I am on the Florida game. I just expect them to beat Vanderbilt. As do I, but you know, it's in Columbia this year. So the chances game. of them going winless, I will put at five percent. All right. I, I I I trust me. I'm an optimistic. Tiger you were fan. at Furrow Field. Yeah. You were next to the troughs on Saturday night. I was. Yeah. I was boots on the ground. But nice. at the end of the day. When you can't really put on, and then you're going to miss your best receiver, most productive receiver, and leading the SEC in all these categories, that's a big loss. And if you can't really drum something up against teams like Florida, who 
have super streaky, but they can run up the numbers. Vanderbilt's looked a lot better. South Carolina has a good quarterback, well coached. It's 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 a tough it's tough to say definitively, but they got a lot of work to do. All right, Action Jackson's on the uh, record. Little Piddle's percentages, you're welcome to send yours in, 65780. Uh, Some wonderful questions from Jackson here uh, today. Uh, In theory, if the Cardinals do not win their wild card matchup and are eliminated this weekend, how would you classify this season? We will talk about that, and, and we will do that on the other side of our conversation with Chris Kerber, which is coming up here in a matter of moments. That's next on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside. He shoots, they score! With the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. They score! Bring out the Zamboni! Refreshed by Randall's, St. Louis's number one liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com. Welcome back. This is 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan, and we are with you on Balloon Party for one hour, me and Action Jackson. And uh, there is some breaking news this morning, and not good news. Regarding the St. Louis Blues, Jeremy Rutherford uh, just tweeting out here within the last few moments, the Blues have announced that Scott Prunovich will require surgery for a fractured shoulder and be reevaluated in six months. Uh, He also says Perunovic's injury is unrelated to the torn left labrum when he was out in 2020 and 2021. Joining us right now to discuss this breaking news is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Kerbs, good morning. Tim, morning. How are you guys? Wonderful. Always great to talk it over with you. And this is uh, quite timely here with this news just breaking here within the last few minutes. We knew that the injury had some concern, uh, and now we get the official word from the Blues that he will miss, uh, at the very least, six months as he'll be reevaluated with shoulder surgery. Uh, what can you tell us about the situation here with Scott Perunovich, Curbs? Yeah, you know, he he took an awkward hit, and the unfortunate thing is while his NHL career, or his pro career for that matter, has been injury-laden, his career prior to this really wasn't. I mean, he never really dealt with with much injury. So you could imagine how frustrated this guy is, a guy that won the Hobie Baker Award, which for those that don't know, that's the Heisman Trophy of college hockey, and uh, and, and just hasn't been able to get his, his pro career launched uh, with any consistency because of injury. So yeah. an extremely frustrating situation for a, a terrific young man, a very polite, a uh, hardworking young man, and, uh, you know, you just got to keep trying to find the silver lining for him, and, and, and it is unfortunate. So now, within the first couple weeks of camp here, you've lost uh, your veteran D-man and Marco Scandella for five to six months with a hip injury, and now you've lost Scott Perunovich, who was trying to make this squad out of camp. Yeah, and so we're, we're looking at it just a few weeks ago, going, oh, okay, they've got some depth here, uh, and now the game appears to have changed with this news and uh, Scandella, as you made reference to, do you think that this now creates some urgency for the front office to try to tend to it? Or do you think they go down the roster? Well, I think you go down the roster. Now, having said that you've got cap space because of long-term IR situation that that could do, there, there are some veteran D men available. And the one thing that we do know with Doug Armstrong is that 
Uh, he likes to have the veteran D-man. He was really comfortable knowing that basically your third pairing is a Marco Scandella and a Robert Bortuzzo. Um, I, I think they're, they're looking like they're, they're pretty okay on, on the left side, you know, with Nico Mikola and, and Robert Bortuzzo on the right. But I do think that, you know, if you look at how they've used Robert Bortuzzo over the last uh, couple of years, you know, he had the one year he played 70 games, but that was, that was really it. So I, it, it wouldn't shock me if they went out and look for somebody that could play the right side, a veteran guy from time to time as well. But if they don't, I still think you're fine with Nico Mikola. You've got Callie Rosen as the next man up. I mean, the Blues are very comfortable with he did. And then in camp, we've seen Tyler Tucker and Matt Kessel. And, and I think Kessel may be the leader at the turn in terms of some of these impressions that he made. We're probably not talking about Tucker at that situation if it wasn't for all these injuries. But he's done a great job of taking advantage of the situation ahead of him. And, and has really done well for himself in camp. So I, I think they're still very good, very well off defensively, and thank goodness that they had planned ahead and really had some, well, had some depth already in the house. Chris Kerber, our guest here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan and Jackson Burkett with you for the hour. Kerbs, uh, you were with us on the fast lane yesterday talking about the news on the Blues Hall of Fame. And uh, I love the idea. We talked about it there. And I want to let the listeners who are not aware of what is going on in on the background of it, because it's something that uh, people at the Blues organization had been talking about doing here for a few years. COVID kind of played a role in uh, its delay to 2020. But uh, the background on it, because I think it's a wonderful idea and how this will all play out here over the next few weeks and uh, in going forward. Yeah, this, this has actually been in the works, believe it or not, as I told you yesterday, for six or seven years. I mean, there, there, we had meetings and there, there, were, there were plans, there were criteria, there were committees already in place, you know, uh, when we were t- discussing things like a ring of honor and, um, or slash hall of fame. But then I think you, you looked ahead and you said, okay, Where's it going to be housed? What's it going to do? And, and, and the Blues weren't in a position at that point to house it properly digitally. Uh, I don't, you don't quite have a 100-year history where you're, you're looking at things and having a, you know, a whole space like the Cardinals have. So how do you do it right? How do you make it uh, effective? How do you celebrate the, the right players the right way? And then as this came to fruition, COVID hit, really slowed things down. And you don't want to launch something like that when you can't put full people in the building, when you can't celebrate your franchise the right way. So now that... We've gotten to that point, Tim. Uh, I think it's a great launch yesterday. Uh, there's a terrific committee of very knowledgeable people, some with the organization, some former people of the organization, uh, some media members as well. They've helped compile a list. Uh, and fans can now go online at stanlewisblues.com slash Hall of Fame. You can vote. And then the first initial class of the Hall of Fame is going to be announced on opening night uh, on Saturday the 15th. That is outstanding. You can check it out right now at stlouisblues.com. And there are 10 automatic inductions, uh, eight who have had their number retired, and then uh, Sid Solomon Jr., the original team owner, and Dan Kelly, uh, legendary broadcaster for the Blues. So if you could uh, give your perspective on the 10, of course, and then uh, who is up for a vote and uh, what direction you decided to go. Well, you know, one of the things that you have to realize when you go through this process is I think you have two different layers. So when a team creates a Hall of Fame, when the Cardinals created their Hall of Fame, there is still a difference between their Hall of Fame and then the Baseball Hall of Famers, you know, that are, were part of the organization. Now, not every Blues number retired is a NHL or, well, not even NHL. It's called hockey, the Hockey Hall of Fame. So they're not all Hockey Hall of Famers, 
but it is a rarefied air that they held in being recognized by the team. So those members are naturally just automatically in the Hall of Fame. You don't have to worry about voting and, and things like that. They're in. Sid Solomon Jr., that's a no-brainer as the you know original patriarch of this franchise. You know, And then, of course, uh, the great Dan Kelly was the voice and, and sound of this, this organization for 20 years in the first 20 years of the franchise after Jack Buck managed the first year. So you move forward. And one of the questions and one of the things you deal with, Tim, is, uh, again, as I mentioned yesterday, was, you know, what do you do? What, what do you, how do you set the criteria? Because you can set certain criteria that could be really hard to, to, to match, but then you may not be able to celebrate great moments. For example, you know, while it is 200 games or three years for the Blues, You've got to leave room in there if, for some reason, somebody like a Pat Maroon shows up and scores one of the biggest, if not the biggest, goal in franchise history. And and how do you honor that? And how do you honor moments? And so all that was part of the debate and how it goes in. Or, for example, you know, three years, uh, if you put that limit in there, a full three years, you, you might uh, eliminate, you know, certain guys, you know, and Adam Oates who didn't play, you know, very long with the St. Louis Blues, things like that but you are, are clearly worthy of the Hall of Fame. So that it really is quite a, a debate that, that led to a lot of the criteria. Having said that, uh, my initial three that I, I submitted as a committee member to you know for the fans to vote on, I, I think Glenn Hall is, is a no-brainer, one of Vesna, one of Conn Smythe for the St. Louis Blues, backstop the Blues, the three straight Stanley Cup finals, the first three years of the team. Uh, the next one, Gary Unger, uh, you, you could make the case that maybe Gary Unger's number should be, seven should be retired based on not only what he did back then, but still where he ranks in terms of the all-time franchise list. And then for me, the, the third one I submitted was Alexander Steen. Uh, again, go look at where he ranks on all the franchise list, 10 years with the franchise, you know, what he did for a decade and, and how he helped lead this team. And, and then, it, of course, part of the first ever Stanley Cup championship and, that one, to me, felt like an absolute no-brainer as well from a recent standpoint. So that's who we put out there. Others had differing opinions, and now the fans get to have their say. You can do so by going to stlouisblues.com. Check out the new Blues Hall of Fame, all of the details and the candidates this year. And, of course, more news throughout the day on the Blues and the Scott Perunovich injury and now surgery curbs always appreciate it looking forward to our conversations throughout the course of the season every tuesday here from 10 to 11 thanks so much kind sir appreciate it brother all right tim uh, listen have a good one and to have everybody check out uh, the icebreaker this friday night from five to seven too the whole team's going to be out there at centene community ice center walking the blue carpet uh, with a q a from the fans and uh a great event coming up that'll lead you hopefully into some night baseball. Ah, very nice. That's a great idea from five to seven. Yeah. All right, Curbs, thanks so much. All right, Tim, have a good one, bud. Thanks. You too. That's Chris Kerber with us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Second half of the program coming your way. Buster only of ESPN with a uh, kind of surprisingly critical column on Tony LaRusso. I would say it's giving perspective, perhaps, to what had transpired the last two years in Chicago. LaRusso celebrating his 78th birthday today, the day after he officially retires from the game as a manager, and I don't think you will see him returning. Plus, Action Jackson's questions. Your answers are welcome as we set the stage for the second half of the hour at 65780, Air Comfort Service. Text line, Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to 
This is Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you for another 26 minutes of magic. And then it's BK and Ferrario at the top of the hour. Uh, this morning, Buster Olney of ESPN writing a column that uh, is titled the following. Tony LaRusso's legacy is more than his disappointing White Sox tenure. But the first half of the article approximately is kind of uh, ripping LaRusso for what took place in Chicago and uh, and talking about how people in the front office didn't really want to work with him, didn't really want him there, and it ended in a way that there is some relief, and that is that he will no longer be the manager. Um, talking about uh, the following, quote, executives with other teams speculated Monday afternoon that within the White Sox front office, there is great relief about LaRusso's departure because the team remains talented and within its theoretical window of competing. Quote, Tony was never their guy. He was Jerry's guy and everybody was doing the best they could, one executive said. It'll take some time before the haze generated by LaRusso's two-year stint as White Sox manager drifts away. Uh, he goes on to tell a story here, Jackson. And this is one I had never heard of. He quotes Alex Cora of the Red Sox saying, We all knew he was prepared and we all knew about the two-for-one. And the two-for-one translated is the understanding that if a pitcher hit one of LaRusse's players with a pitch, then the Cardinals would hit two of the other team's players, whether or not the original offense was intentional. The hit batsman retaliation and intimidation were at the core of a long, difficult relationship between Tony LaRusse and Dusty Baker, who played for LaRusse briefly in Oakland, before becoming a manager, their teams would share many on-field bench-clearing incidents with batters getting hit and punches being thrown. After years of silence, Baker recalled earlier this summer, the two men finally spoke while standing at adjacent urinals at the 2014 funeral of beloved teammate Bob Welch. This is just my own brief aside here. Yes. Editor's note. You could say they talked at Bob Welch's Funeral. The, the urinal thing was vivid. Yeah. And yet I enjoyed it. I, I like it's theater of the mind, Tim. Well, let's lay out the scenario then. Who is using the little wizard's room first? Oh, man. Probably to- how much older is Tony? He is 78. I believe that would make him older than Dusty Baker, who played for him. I'll probably go Tony. Prostate reasoning. Yeah. Nice. So Tony is standing there, and it's a room full of urinals because it's a big facility. That yeah. would be my guess. It's I'd not agree. just like two urinals. Right. And so Dusty chooses to stand next to him. Power move. Power move, eye-opening, provocative as the day is long. Yeah. But that power move opened up the door to a conversation at the urinal. I would say this might be the second most powerful conversation at the urinal next to Craig Berube and Carl Gunnarsson yeah. uh, before overtime in Game 2 of yeah. the Stanley Cup Final. Yeah, we'll do Mount Rushmore's of urinal conversations yeah, we, we, tomorrow. That, I think that's scheduled yeah. for tomorrow following Panger yeah, when right. I badger him about his handicap again <laughs> and also about TMA's match against Chris Nagel at his uh, his track, and I have a feeling he is not going to be picking us yeah, which for is a the shame. record. Uh, so they talk then. LaRusso wrote Baker a letter of respect and collegiality after Baker's Astros knocked out LaRusso's White Sox last fall. Baker acknowledged that after a nudge from Melissa Baker, his wife, the man is trying, she said to Dusty, and he called LaRusa back. 
There will be more time for those kinds of conversations now about a Hall of Fame career, one that should be remembered by his 37 years as a manager and not just the last two with the White Sox. Uh, yesterday, as Tony announced his retirement, uh, he talked about uh, two things that were kind of eye-opening. He included thanking the fans, including the ones who chanted, Fire Tony. <laughs> and then he also said that Game 3 of the ALDS last year against the Astros was the most electric atmosphere he had ever seen in a ballpark with no disrespect intended to any other right. fan bases or teams he had been associated with. Real. Uh, and I have to tell you, I was a little surprised by that. Now, you know as well as I do, now that statement's probably not making its way around no. Cardinal fandom. No. But if it did, I bet some Cardinal fans would go and take offense to it. I have to tell you, just in general, I don't know how Game 6 of the 2011 right. World Series was surpassed by Game 3 of the Division Series between the, the White Sox and the Astros in 2021. But I wasn't on the south side of Chicago that night, so I cannot speak to the magic that was the LDS. I mean, one of my favorite Cardinal moments happened in the NLDS. It was 2014. Do you know what I'm thinking of? I'm trying to telepathically communicate it to you because I know you were a young boy. You were 16 years old. Big City hitting the homer off yes. Kershaw. Yes. Yeah, that was... Uh, and that was John Lackey at the front of the uh, uh, dugout screaming expletives. Yeah, he was intense. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great moment. Yeah, that was, that was outstanding. Awesome. The Kershaw pose. That's uh, yes. That was a part of the Kershaw pose. So I understand a great atmosphere in the LDS. I'm just saying he was a part of Game Six of the 2011 World Series. Yep. Um, if you want to go beyond that, Game 6 of the 2004 NLCS, Edmonds home run, walk off. Game 7 of that NLCS with Scott Rowland off of Roger Clemens. The yeah. building was shaking back-to-back -back nights. I had been in Bush Stadium, I would imagine, close to a 1,000 times by the time that game rolled around in 2004, and I had never felt the building shake. And I felt it twice in 24 hours when wow. Edmonds hit that home run and when Rowland hit his home run. Yeah, I'm like, holy crap. And there is that feeling shake. when the stadium shakes and you can everyone knows it. Right. It's incredible. So does LaRusse's uh, legacy get tarnished by his two years in Chicago? Jackson, go. I would say no, but we have the recency bias is very much popular. And so I, I would understand people saying that today, next year, the year after that. But I think in five years, and Tony's already in the Hall of Fame, so there's not like that moment where he gets into the Hall of Fame and people just forget about the White Sox thing. But I think in the grand scheme of things, no, it does not affect his legacy at all. Uh, I think it's like a footnote at the bottom of, you know, this huge list of accomplishments he's done, he's had. And so, no, for me personally, not at all. But for the masses, I would say maybe for a year it might, but not overall. Uh, some people are not a fan. Uh, I can't believe he effing said Chicago was the best crowd. That's horse s. That's from the 618. The next text is from the 217. Get him off the wall. That's in reference to his uh, number his, being yeah. retired with right. the Cardinals. So how about that? There's some real. Yeah, and I, I don't take that like the thing he said about the most electric atmosphere personally. Like I don't think that like it's not like I have some chip on my shoulder about the Cardinals atmosphere. I think we all know that Bush Stadium gets really loud and it's very well attended. But you know that's what that's what he said. And I don't. I just for me, the legacy is so incredible that two years in Chicago, where the teams weren't terrible. It's not like he took them down this path where they were one of the better teams in the league and then dropped down to the bottom of the standings. 
Just they just injury problems, and he, from the get go, he was labeled as the, not the right guy in Chicago. In Chicago, yes. Yeah. And you have a thing here, and and I, I I say in 2022, but it's been going on well before this, and I, now I think it includes fans as well because of social media, that very rarely will people go, oh, I said this, and as it turned out, I was wrong on my opinion. Yeah. And here is the reasoning why. Most times, I think. People try to spin the facts to fit their opinion so that they don't have to say that they were wrong. Well, with Tony La Russa, when he was hired by the White Sox, it was an incredibly unpopular move with the media, both nationally and in Chicago. And the reasoning being is he had this young, exciting team, and La Russa was only being hired by Jerry Reinsdorf of the White Sox because he wanted to right a wrong of firing him in 1986, and this was his chance to do it. And so the thought was LaRusso would be curmudgeonly with this young roster and ruin the excitement of the White Sox. And then they went out and they had a hell of a year uh, losing in the playoffs. So I felt like they were against him from the get-go and any positive would be spun into a less than positive or negative and any negative would be exaggerated so as to fit the narrative. That's what I really believed. So in the end, LaRusso steps down and saying, our record is proof that I did not do my job. So that's Tony LaRusso. Now, on the Cardinals side of things here with Ali Marmol, Jackson poses some questions for our final segment. In theory, if the Cardinals do not win their wild card matchup and are eliminated this weekend, how would you classify the season furthermore how do you think the average cardinal fan would classify this season was there too much celebration and milestone tracking with albert yachty and maybe wayno to consider it a bad year even if they don't move past the wild card round we will talk about those questions on the other side of the break your answers are welcome six five seven eight zero or using the mic drop feature on 101 espn's app this is balloon party on 101 espn we're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Final segment balloon party 101 ESPN for today. Tim McKernan with you. Jackson, here's the question you pose. Mm. Let's dig into it. Ready? Bring it. All right. It's your question anyway. <laughs> Just trying to build it up as I scroll for it since I went looking at other things during the commercial break, and I'm trying to buy time without calling attention to it. How am I doing? Wonderfully. Thank you. In theory, if the Cardinals do not win their wild card matchup and are eliminated this weekend, how would you classify the season? Furthermore, how do you think the average Cardinal fan would classify the season? Was there too much celebration and milestone tracking with Albert, Yachty, and maybe Wayno to consider it a bad year, even if they don't move past the wild card round? I would classify this season as an A season, no matter what happens in the playoffs. Yeah, I it's too, it, there was too much going on to say it was a bad season. It had individual accomplishments and the history that I think is more appreciated in St. Louis than the vast majority of other sports markets. And I'm talking about, of course, Albert Pujol's 700th pursuit, which realistically I don't think most people saw happening and certainly didn't see it happening once June rolled around. And then secondarily, um, at the very least, Molina and Poole's final year being together and possibly Wainwright's final year being being together. uh, Just an absolute perfect parallel. Now, if the team were bad, different set of circumstances. If the team didn't go out and get help at the trade deadline, different set of circumstances. I think the obituary, if they are to lose and Nola 
and Wheeler shut them down, it would be, man, they didn't tend to the offense at the trade deadline, right. which I feel like has flown under the radar because the team, understandably for fans, did so much winning and there was no pennant race. And then, since there was no pennant race, all the attention was on Albert Pools and the individual accomplishments. But I worry about the offense when you go up against this pitching. There just isn't, at this moment anyway, obvious depth beyond the guys in the middle of the order. And and I recognize you could say that about, I suppose you could say that about most of the teams in the playoffs, but the Cardinals really fall off. I mean, if DeYoung is out there and we, you know, yeah. think that's a possibility at yeah. the very least, wow, unless all of a sudden he finds it. Right. Mean, he found it when he came back from Memphis. Maybe he can find it again. I don't know what we've seen that would indicate that. Um, and then the outfield question marks. So I'm concerned about that. I feel like, and maybe I'm off on this, I feel like the, this wild card series, not by everybody, by any means, is being kind of taken for granted. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a buzzsaw in a sense because you lose one game, you are up against it. Whoever you consider to be the best team in the game, and I recognize the Dodgers have the best record, and I know at least at one time it was the Nationals who had the worst record. I don't know. Let's also let's say it's the Nationals and Dodgers best of three, and they're going with their absolute best against their absolute best. I still wouldn't bet with a great deal of confidence that right. the Dodgers would win a best of three. I would expect them to, but I wouldn't be like all in. Too much parity. And that, well, it's just, it's too much volatility in a right. best of three. And also, I think what we're going to see starting most likely Friday afternoon is, and by I say most likely Friday afternoon, then I think it'll be an afternoon game. I, I'm The latest game is a seven o'clock start, and that is going to be the Mets and whoever they play, whether it be the Padres or Phillies. I just don't see any way around that, but maybe right. I will be proven wrong. And I would imagine the earliest game will be the Guardians and Rays. So the Cardinals will be up in the mix with the Blue Jays and Mariners and uh, whoever is their opponent, Phillies or Padres. I just think it might be kind of getting taken for granted because it's a 90-plus win team that win-wise has been on a heater for two-plus months. But caliber of play-wise, it just hasn't been great. So I have concern. I'm not saying I think they are going to lose. I just have concern about it. Uh, I do, as weird as it is, I love that Nola was had, had a perfect game into the seventh inning last night. I would have loved it if he threw a perfect game because I think he would have been worn out for his start. Right. Um, and I just am anxious to see who performs offensively for the Cardinals beyond the guys who you would expect in Goldschmidt, Arnato, and who would have thought Albert Pujols. Uh, because in particular, those guys have struggled as of late, minus Albert, and then what the Cardinals decide to do with the rotation. But even if they were to lose on Friday and Saturday and it's over, I still would say from an entertainment standpoint and from what the organization did at the deadline, even though I would have liked to have seen offense added, uh, they showed a commitment to upgrading. I think the trades were both outstanding, um, and the Cardinal fan base was re-energized, by what took place, both with the team's success and Albert's pursuit of 700. Now, we've been talking about, in a romantic term of sorts, baseball romantic, not uh, not you, Jackson, mm. on on Hinge, mm. but but this 2022 season and how magical it's been. But it's also been magical because we know it's closing out this chapter. Well, right. with closing out a chapter, that means there is a start to a new one. 
And it's an important one because the cupboard, I'm not saying the cupboard's bare, but there are going to be some substantial changes in there. And I think that will be whenever that moment comes. And it could come after a World Series parade. The Cardinal Delta to me is anything from losing in the wild card round to winning the World Series. And I don't say that is I just I don't see that being the case for every team in the field. Uh, I think the Cardinals do have that that Delta. And so taking a look at it, whenever that time comes that it's over, the fan base understandably will go, okay, well, what are you going to do about the outfield situation? Unless two guys emerge in the outfield and you go, wow, okay, well, now you know what you got in the outfield. What are you going to do about shortstop? What are you going to do about catcher? What are you going to do about the rotation, especially if Wainwright is done? Uh, these are questions that are coming, and we could be discussing them on Monday. So that's that's kind of a little bit of a peek into our near future within the next month at some point that's going to happen. But from my standpoint, even if it ends abruptly on Friday and Saturday, from an entertainment standpoint and a quality of play standpoint, um, this was a hell of a season. And that is, uh, that's not going to change by a quick exit in a set of circumstances that, you know, don't necessarily allow the best team to win, even though I realize that may sound counterintuitive. A best of three has a high delta. Uh, your thoughts, sir? Yeah, there's just too much awesome stuff that happened this season for it to be qualified as anything else but like a really fun and awesome season to watch. But I think your question about what would the casual fans say or the average fans say, and I think the fan would say if they got knocked out this weekend that it was a disappointment. Sure. And of course it's a disappointment, but I wouldn't let it color 2022. No. There have been too many moments from 2022. Right that I think reinvigorated this fan base and brought back, I think, a number of people who may have been turned off. Sure. And I think it would it would by some like a portion of the fan base to be labeled as this team got too hot too early, you know, and then they kinda ran out of steam towards the end of the season, which has its merit, but you know, these these guys are professional baseball players. At the can. same time, it would not surprise me if they went off. Yeah, agreed. I mean when you have the kind of talent this roster has and also the experience that it has. Uh-huh. Uh, I would not. I would not sit there and go. Well, I just don't think they can get past any of them. Right. You look at the National League field, and it is stacked. It is stacked. It is so so stacked. The only team that would have gotten in where I would have gone, there's no way they can win the World Series, is the Brewers, and they're out. Right. Agreed. Uh, the Phillies don't strike me as a World Series team, but keep in mind the Phillies were so bad at the start of the season that they fired Joe Girardi, and right. now they're in the playoffs. Yeah. So that just shows you how well they've been playing. Yeah. The Braves speak for themselves. Degrom, Scherzer, and what they've got going on in Queens speaks for itself. And 110 wins with the Dodgers speaks for itself. And Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and that rotation in San Diego speaks for itself. Whoever emerges from the National League will be accomplishing a hell of a lot. But I also wonder how battered and bruised they will be whenever they get to yeah, exactly. the Yankees, Astros, whomever right. from the American League. Uh, so your thoughts are welcome. I'm sure the discussion will carry over into BK and Ferrario. Time for us to shut it down. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.